Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast where we dig into God's Word together and find life through Jesus Christ. My name is Ben Blakey. It's Monday, the 14th of September, 2020. And welcome to a new week as we're kicking it off here on Monday. And this week, a new week brings us two new books of the Bible that we are starting today. And the first book I want to talk about is the book of Hebrews. And now Hebrews is an interesting book for several reasons, but one is, you know, we've been reading so many of the other epistles and it always starts so far. We've been looking at Paul's epistles and it starts with Paul. And next we'll get to James and first and second Peter, but we don't know who wrote Hebrews. And I am not about to give you my theory on who I personally think wrote it because, hey, guess what? We don't know who wrote it. We'll find out, I think, someday in heaven. But right now, uh, we don't know. And there are different theories about different people that people think wrote the book of Hebrews, but we do not know. But this has been accepted by the church from the beginning. This is clearly a part of the word of God. And it's interesting that this sermon kind of like this book, kind of like Ecclesiastes comes across like a sermon. Uh, This letter uh, really has that character of someone really giving a message, almost preaching to uh, this group. And it's called Hebrews. Uh, Again, it doesn't say at the beginning to the Hebrews, but as you read the letter, it seems to be obvious that this letter is being written to Hebrews or to Jewish people. And even it seems that it's being written to Jewish people who have made some kind of move or some kind of profession towards following Jesus, but they are being challenged and they are being tempted to go back to their old way of living, basically under the old Testament, the Old Covenant laws and rules and rituals. And if I had to sum up Hebrews for you in a phrase, it would be this, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And that's the message of Hebrews to these Jewish people who are being tempted uh, to go back to their old way of living. And the writer here is coming at them again and again saying, Jesus is better. And even we'll see Jesus is better than, and then fill in the blank with many different things throughout this letter. But let me start by reading just very powerful opening passage here in the book of Hebrews. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom also he created the world. So there you're already seeing that message of Jesus is better. Hey, we we used to, God spoke through the prophets to our fathers, but now we have his son who, then it goes on to say, he, the son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So, I mean, you can start off even by saying Jesus is better than the prophets because none of them were the exact imprint of the nature of God. None of them upheld the universe by the word of their power. And then after making purification for sins, 
Jesus, the Son, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And so then really the rest of chapter one goes on to say that Jesus is better than the angels. And it even gives several different Old Testament references uh, to talk, to show, hey, look at what God says to the son. Does he ever say these kind of things to angels? Uh, No. And as impressive as angels are, they are not the son. Jesus is better. And that's a good, that's good news for us. I mean, even we can have confidence that Jesus is able to deal with our sins because after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is right now seated at the right hand of the father. We can know that through Christ, our sins can be forgiven. And that's just the start of really what is an amazing book. I'm excited to spend some time reading through Hebrews together. Now, the other book we start today is also very interesting. We are starting the Song of Solomon today. And now this book, there's lots of different ways to understand this book that have been promoted throughout church history. Many people kind of view this book as an allegory, um, a book that's a picture of the love that God has for Israel or the love that uh, Christ has for the church. And that's how they would interpret the Song of Solomon. Personally, I'm unconvinced by those interpretations. I think this is a song about marriage and the intimacy to be found within marriage. And I think many people basically argue for some of the other views because they say, well, there couldn't be a whole book like digging is deeply into, you know, marriage and even physical intimacy as this book is doing. And I would say, well, why not? Uh, God praises marriage throughout scripture. And uh, we, we see in many places warnings about the dangers of sexual intimacy outside of marriage. And, and some of those passages are pretty graphic as well. We, we read that in uh, the book of Proverbs. We see a, a passage where, you know, the, the strange woman is coming to really seduce a man there in Proverbs chapter seven. And if God's word can go into such detail, um, warning us against the misuse of intimacy, why can it not praise the, the proper place and the proper use of intimacy? And that's where I think this is a very poetic book that it talks about Solomon and his bride and it praises marriage and it praises the intimacy to be found within marriage. And uh, it's still a little weird to us. I mean, the, the, the poetry is it's not something that necessarily we would say in our culture, in our time. But I think there is a lot that we can learn from this. And even I'll break it down into three groups of of people that might be listening to this podcast. Some of you might be listening to this that are single. You're not married. And so you say, well, well, what is there for me to get out of this book? And one thing I'll, I'll point out is that there's a phrase that continually comes up throughout the Song of Solomon. 
And you see it there for, uh, at least once there in chapter 3, verse 5, where this bride says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field. There, see, there's some of that language that we wouldn't use today. We wouldn't really be talking about gazelles or does. Um, but anyways, the, the thrust there at the end is that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases right? Uh, To those that are single, uh, this is praising sexual intimacy, but it's also warning there is a proper place for it. And I want to encourage you, if you are single, to fight for purity and to not buy the lie that intimacy outside of marriage can be fulfilling. That's what the world wants to sell us, but it is not clearly, the Bible is warning us against that. And then the other people that might be listening to this podcast, if you're married, I want to speak to the husbands and also to the wives. Uh, Husbands, when we get into chapter four, which it seems like the first few chapters are kind of addressing the the courtship of this couple. And then when we get into the end of chapter three and chapter four, we're getting to the marriage and the consummation of this relationship. And if you read chapter four, I mean, it is just uh, Solomon is going off with praise for his bride. In verse one, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. And so husbands, I want to challenge you. Are you using your words to praise your wife? And that's where, again, you might want to update that a, a, a little bit. I, I don't know that your wife will respond as well if you tell her that her teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, or if you tell her that her neck is like the Tower of David built in rows of stone. Uh, those might not translate to her today. But are you using your words, even in creative ways like Solomon is doing here, to praise your wife? to praise her physical appearance, to praise the things that she does. Um, Are you doing that and being intentional about doing that? We see here Solomon is pursuing his bride. And men, that is something if you are married, we should never stop doing. And that's not always the the default to to what feels good or right to us. But man, I want to encourage you, pursue your wives today and specifically do that by praising them. And then to the the women who are married, listening to this, at the end of of chapter four, after all of this praise, and, and clearly Solomon is pursuing intimacy with his wife, she says there at the very end of chapter four, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits, which I think really can be read as an, an invitation that she is responding to his advances, to his praise by inviting her husband, Solomon, now into the intimacy of marriage. And, and wives, I would encourage you respond to the advances of of your husband when they are praising you and pursue and invite them into that intimacy that they should only be finding with you, their spouse. And all of this may may sound simplistic and all right, single people stay pure until you're married. Husbands, pursue your wives. Wives, respond to the advances of your husband. Um, But, you know, this is a poetic book and even it seems to be describing a, a honeymoon and, 
You might be past the honeymoon phase. You might be, well, I've been single for longer than I've wanted to be. And when's this going to happen? Or, well, yeah, maybe on our honeymoon, I was writing notes and praising my spouse and these different things. But now we've been married for a long time and life is busy or life is hard and marriage, there's conflict. Well, we're going to even see some of the conflict tomorrow as we go on in Song of Solomon. But here's another thing I would challenge all of you to do. Because you might be looking at this picture of marital intimacy and say, but that's not what I have. Either because I'm not married or my marriage is not where I would want it to be. Then the other thing I would encourage you to do is pray. Pray that God would lead you towards this and do it in such a way that is not demanding of God, but in a way that is patient, in a way that is very just prayerful and seeking God coming to him. I think this is what God is presenting to us as the picture um, for what marriage should be like. And so I think we can go to God and say, God, um, this is what I want. And and even to make those prayers humble, saying, God, uh, change what needs to be changed in me. You know, husbands don't just go, hey, God, make my wife more like this. Or wives don't just go and say, God, make my husband more like this. Go to God saying, God, make me more the kind of person that it would take to have a strong, healthy, and intimate marriage. So two new books there, Hebrews and Song of Solomon. We'll wrap up Song of Solomon tomorrow. We'll be in Hebrews for a while, and I'm excited to get into those books together. I want to close just with a couple brief observations from our other passages today. Uh, Psalm 19, we read about the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And something stood out to me specifically because we as a church have been going through John chapter 7, where Jesus goes up to the Feast of Tabernacles, which would have been about six months before this triumphal entry. And remember, he goes up to the Feast of Tabernacles incognito, and he does not want to create a scene as he enters Jerusalem. Well, this time, what stood out to me is it's very obvious. This triumphal entry didn't totally just spontaneously happen. Jesus clearly wanted it to happen. Who is the one saying, hey, you need to go find this colt and bring it to me? It's Jesus. Jesus didn't just get hoisted up upon the colt uh, coming into the city of Jerusalem. He planned it. So that's just something that stood out to me from the reading today, that Jesus was very intentional. He knew what the time was. And even in this case, he was choosing his moment to make this scene of triumphal entry because he knows that his time has come. And then we also wrapped up Psalm 106 today, which is kind of a sad psalm that's reflecting on a lot of the failures of the Hebrews and a lot of the judgment of God that came upon them uh, as a result. And we saw earlier on one of their failures that it says is they forgot. Um, in verse seven, it says, they did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. And that phrase really stood out to me, the abundance of your steadfast love. And today it talks about how God judged his people and he scattered them among the nations. But then look at verse 44. Nevertheless, he, God, looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. 
And that really stood out to me today, just thinking about at the beginning, he is rebuking them for not remembering the abundance of his steadfast love. But at the end, even after he has judged this people and scattered them among the nations, what is still going on? What what still characterizes God even after all that? The abundance of his steadfast love. So as we start a new week today, may that be a reminder to us that no matter what is going on, one thing that we can be sure of, one thing that we can count on is the abundance of the steadfast love of our God. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.